Well, today I'm a little bit nervous, but very excited about sharing with you, hello, my name is Compassionate. Because the truth of the matter is my name is actually really not Compassionate. Oh man, I'm excited but nervous because, um, you know, when we think about the the idea of compassion, many of us see this uh, infomercial with little dogs in the pound looking at you with those little doggy eyes with the arms of an angel playing in the background softly, and then you see a number that scrolls across the screen, and you you find out for only a dollar a day, you can, you know, whatever. And and for some of us, uh, compassion looks uh, a little bit different. Maybe it's uh, picking up your your child that has a skinned knee, or or maybe it's uh, uh, as as you pull through the intersection, recognizing a person on the corner, and, and rolling down your window so that you can give them uh, some money so that you can help them out. And many of us get these different ideas about compassion, but I wanna share with you what the definition, uh, Oxford definition of compassion is. Compassion is designed, uh, defined as a sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. As we talk about who we are as a church, and the fourfold mission of the church, we can't skip over compassion. We have a responsibility for four things, worship, compassion, discipleship, and evangelism. And compassion is an essential part of who we are in Christ. Perhaps a better way to say compassion is a sense of suffering together. It is a way of being sympathetic and identifying with people that are really hurting and really in need. This is kind of funny to me because a little over three years ago uh, with the Christ Legacy staff, I took a a leadership audit analysis. And one of the components of the leadership audit analysis was, was a spiritual gifts test, a survey. And this was, a, this was a survey that identified 11 separate uh, spiritual gifts and, and helped me find my placement among all 11. And as, as your pastor, I, I recognize that there's gonna, be, um, there's gonna be some, at some point you're gonna find out some of my weaknesses. So before we get there, I'm gonna share you my strengths. <laughs> because I need you to know that I am strong in a couple of things. Uh, my, my number one strength in my, my spiritual gifts test was, uh, uh, was leadership. I had a 48, a score of 48 uh, out of 50 in, in, in leadership. Then faith and administration were, were tied together for second place. And then my third place was teaching, okay? So those are, those are my strengths. The, the problem is not, not with my strengths. The problem is actually with, with my weaknesses, um, you're going to find out this at some point, so we might as well just be honest with each other right now. My weakness, the lowest spiritual gift I have is compassion. Steve, did you say amen to that? I am sorry if I've done something to you. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and I, I just am not very good at, at compassion. As a matter of fact, of all the low scores among our staff... No matter what they scored low in, I scored lower. I was the lowest score and my score was compassion. To give you some kind of idea, I scored a 20, okay? 
That's what you get for putting your name on the page. That's right, 20. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit has decided that he's gonna teach me about compassion. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Lord. So in order to teach me, uh, some years ago before we had children, we were living down deep in Oklahoma City in, in what some people may consider an unsafe spot. Um, the reason it's considered an unsafe spot is I believe, Mike, <laughs> you had to come over to my house and sweep my house one time. Uh, he's a police officer. He, he, beat, he was in Yukon and he beat the Oklahoma City Police Department to my house to sweep it because I had just been burglarized. So <laughs> the, I was living in a little bit of un, unsavory place at the time. Love the house. But, uh, but one time, my wife and I were driving through our neighborhood, just a little bit uh, less than a mile away from our house, and, and we started noticing people on the corner that were panhandling. We, and I looked at my wife, and I, I said something that I'll always remember. I, I said something to her. I thought to myself, what kind of bad decisions lead you to here? I'll, I'll never in my life allow myself to make these kind of decisions that are going to lead me to this place. And I'm trying to bring comfort and hope to my wife because, you know, we are living in the place. But, but, but I, I wanted to, I, I pointed that out. A few weeks later, we were driving to a little restaurant. And right about the same place, we had a little flat tire. It was the summer. It was real hot. I was wearing a pair of flip-flops. We were less than a mile out. And so I decided instead of, instead of calling a, a, a tow truck, I was just going to change the flat. But I didn't want my wife to have to sit there and, and change the flat while I changed the flat because she had things to do. So I was just going to jog home. This was in my younger days. I was just going to jog home, grab the other car, come, let her take the other car, do her errands, and then I was just going to get my tools at home instead of using the emergency tools and change my tire out. No big deal. It should have taken me less than 10 minutes to run home, grab the car, and come back. So I, I took off, and before I even hit the corner, I busted another flat on my sandal. Y'all remember when you pull the it's the sandal out and then all of a sudden you, you're, you're messed up and you, you start limping and you look down and your sandal, your sandal is like flopping like a foot behind you. So I had to, I had to take it off and I'm already hot and sweaty because I was jogging for a few minutes. And then, and, and, and I start limping down the street and I get to the very corner that I said those words, I'll never make that decision to get me to these pla this place. And I realized something. I, worked, I looked worse than that guy standing on the corner asking for money. And the Holy Spirit spoke something to me in that very moment that I'll never forget and is, is still teaching me to this day. He said, it doesn't take long, does it? And I knew exactly what he was saying. It doesn't take long, does it? I, I couldn't believe it. I, I will tell you that I did end up getting home it took me a lot longer. My wife was not very happy with me. I should have just used the tools, changed it right there. But the Holy Spirit told me, taught me a valuable lesson. That compassion is not for the weak, the poor, the destitute. Compassion should be for everyone.
Friends, that, that valuable lesson has stuck with me and I've discovered through God's love and compassion on my life what the real meaning of compassion is. Biblical compassion is bringing comfort to the hurting in order to show God's love. Amen? So if you would in your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. As you're turning there, I want to share with you a little bit of background information on this, on this book so that we all know uh, where we're coming from. I think that setting this up is going to give us even a deeper understanding of what it means to be compassionate. So Paul, on his second missionary journey, comes to a place called Corinth, and he sets up a church. And this church is a thriving, wonderful, beautiful church. It's a, and it's a place that really, really desperately needs a church. And just almost immediately after he left, uh, a group of people rose up in the church in, in leadership and began teaching a different gospel than the one Paul had left them. And these are likely a, a group of Judaizers that, that were, th those are people that, um, that believed that Jesus was the Son of God, but also insisted that people uh, follow the Levitical law. And, and so these people began to teach additional steps in order for, to receive salvation. Now, regardless of whether these were Judaizers or another group of people, the truth of the matter is that Paul didn't appreciate a different kind of gospel than the one that he preached first. And so after traveling to, um, after leaving Corinth for the first time, he, he hears about the problems and he writes them 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is, is a letter that addresses initially the problem with the church. It's a letter where he asserts his authority as an apostle of Christ and he outlines problems and he tries to bring resolution to the muddy waters that the group of Judaizers left behind him. But after that, he comes and visits the church and he tries to bring clarity again and then he leaves and the problems persist. And so he writes 2 Corinthians this time he, he, he wants to show this church how much he loves them. And this is the book that shares more personal information about Paul than we've ever heard before throughout his other letters, his other books. And this, this information shows us uh, that Paul really does love this church and suffered on behalf of this church. And Paul not only suffered through this church, but needed compassion and comfort from the Holy Spirit as he suffered. But also he points out that, that through the Holy Spirit, the church in Corinth showed him compassion that he needed in order to sustain his ministry because he likely wrote these things while in prison. And so here Paul is writing to us or writing to the uh, Corinthian church, and Paul is, is thanking them in this passage of Scripture for the, for the charity, for the compassion, the comfort that was shown to him. In verse uh, 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, it says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, the, in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. In just these few short passages, we see the fullness of the Trinity of God show up and underscore the importance of compassion. God is the father of compassion. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And Jesus himself suffered and received comfort as our example. And as we look through this passage, I wanna discuss the, the persons of, of the Trinity and share with you how they underscore compassion and set the example for us, amen? Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your word this morning. Lord, help us, Lord, see you and be reminded of the redemption that you had for us. Lord, that you, that you went to seek and to save the lost and the dying of this world. Lord, and I pray that just that knowledge and remembering what that felt like drives us as a church and as a people of God to share that same kind of compassion with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Father's Day is coming up. That's a reminder. As an opportunity, uh, each year we have a, a wonderful chance to honor our fathers. And the truth is, if, if you have a dad, he has been a great impact on your life, a, a, an amazing impact on your life. Whether your dad was present or not, he impacted your life in a tremendous way. There are some great characteristics that you picked up from your dad. There are some not so great characteristics that you picked up from your dad. Some of us, if your dad was tall, then you're tall too. If your dad was short, then you're short as well. Thanks, dad. If, you, if your dad was fun and, and enjoyed laughing, then you learn how to laugh and have fun. And if, if your dad was uh, uh, serious or tough, then you got tough too. Uh, your dad gave you inherited characteristics, natural tendencies that you possess, traits, if you will, that, that you naturally gravitate towards. These are characteristics, whether you like it or not, that, that are yours. And, and if you want to change them, you have to work to try to change them. But if you want to embrace them, they're yours for the taking. These are wonderful, uh, one, one of the wonderful things that we can do is to recognize as Christians that our Heavenly Father also has traits, characteristics, that when we come to Him and we find salvation and redemption through Him, we begin to take on those same traits. You see, if God, our Heavenly Father, is love, then we ourselves will be loving people. If we serve a God of justice, which we do, then we ourselves seek justice. If we serve a God 
that is faithful, then we're going to be faithful. If we serve a God that is forgiving, then we ourselves are commanded to forgive. Friends, let me remind you that we serve a compassionate God. And so we will be a compassionate people. Psalm chapter 86, verse 15 says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. <clears throat> we serve a compassionate God, and that's not just some kind of New Testament thing. That's not some kind of new idea. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, amen? And if God is the same God, then he has always been compassionate and it has always been his plan to be a compassionate God and have a people that are like him in compassion. But you might be sitting there wondering, well, if God is such a compassionate God, why, when I look around, I see suffering in the world? That's a fair question. That can be a challenging question. But the truth of the matter is, is that God never intended suffering to be in the world. It wasn't God's original plan. But suffering came into the world because of man's decision. I love, I love this saying that we live on a sin-cursed planet. People look at God and want to shake their fists and blame God for every problem and every situation. But God is not the problem. God is the solution to suffering. He is the redeemer of people. He is the help in time of trouble. And God, God looks at us and, sh and shows compassion to us that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. I want to share with you this morning that suffering is not God's idea, but he will allow suffering in our lives for two reasons and two reasons only. The first reason that the Lord would allow suffering in the life and the heart of a believer is simply this, because he wants to use it to allow you to draw close to him. The closer you get to him, the more you depend upon him and the less you depend on yourself. If you're like Paul and you say, Lord, less of me and more of you, the less the Lord is going to utilize suffering in order to draw you to him. The second reason is that the Lord would allow suffering in your life is because, and this is very simple, is because if you never know what it's like to suffer, then you don't know what it's like to show compassion for others. If you are allowed to feel a problem, then you yourself can reach out and be the answer to the people that are feeling the problem because of Jesus. If our Father is a God of compassion, then you and I are people of compassion because we share his characteristics, amen? But God is not just the God of compassion, he is also the God of comfort. There's this idea that comfort is, is simply this. It's like a, a feminine, feminine characteristic. It's some kind of motherly characteristic that, that we need to care for the weak and the poor. But the truth is, is that, that even though that is a definite motherly quality, that's not only what it, it's all about. Some people try to, to refrain from going to the doctor. Some people try to refrain from going to therapy. Some people try to, try to uh, uh, stay away from addiction specialists because they don't feel like they need help. We live in a tough, uh, rough world. 
and, and they feel like they just need to toughen up a little bit. And, and, and the last thing that they want to do is sh show people that they need help. And, and the least of all, they don't want to ask for comfort because that shows weakness and, and an inability to handle things. But I want you to understand this, that, that, that Jesus described his spirit as a spirit of comfort. John 14, 16 says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Somebody say helper. That he may abide with you forever. Some translations call him the counselor or the advocate. And even other translations like this one says the helper. The Greek transliteration of this word is paraclete or the one that comes alongside of. How about that? The one that comes alongside of. See, if Jesus says that his spirit is the one that comes alongside of, then we know that the characteristic nature of the Christian, if we have the same spirit that has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, then we ourselves are a people that come alongside of others to be their advocate, to be their helper, to be their comforter, to show people the love of Christ as a strategy of sharing with them the gospel that will change their life forever. As I watch my kids grow up, I have these amazing moments where I, I see this, <laughs> their faces and I know immediately what's on their mind. Any, any parent like that? You just know what's on your, your kid's mind because you see their face. It's because I've been there, I've done that, I know what they're thinking, I know what they're going through. And, and, and the other day, uh, Claudia and I, we, we took the family down to Texas for a wedding. We came back. It was a hot shot, man. It was, it was like there and back. And, and, and so the kids were in the car a long time. My son, Johnny, he's six years old. And when we pulled up late at night into, the, into our garage, I looked at him. And he, he's looking around. And he immediately goes like this. <laughs> Shuts his eyes, pretends to be sleeping. I knew exactly what was going on in his mind. He's looking at all his, his backpack. He's looking at his blanket, his pillow. He's looking at all this stuff in the car that he knows he's going to have to get up and carry in, inside, put in his room, brush his teeth so he can go to bed. And it is easier to let daddy pick you up and carry you into bed and then go back out in the car and get all your stuff and put it where it goes. Well, because his daddy is so compassionate my natural tendency is to go drill, drill sergeant on him, okay? My natural tendency is say, boy, you better get up. You better stop acting like you're asleep, but I know you're not asleep. You better get all your stuff. Go, 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 go. This is not a time. But then I see his little face and I know his concern. I, 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 I want my son to understand my love the love that I have for him. And so I pick him up and I carry him into his room and I let him pretend that he's asleep. And then I go back out and I get his stuff and I bring it in because I want all my kids to know that I love him. And so I show compassion on them, even whenever they don't deserve it. <laughs> and certainly I earned it. See, Isaiah prophesied about Jesus long ago before Jesus ever came, but he was so accurate. He says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering 
I'm familiar with pain. You see, we serve a God, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't just know and see our pain. He's allowed himself to experience our pain. He knows what we feel like because he's been there and done that. And folks, that makes all the difference. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ladies and gentlemen, we have compassionate God that knows what it's like to suffer. And because of that, he has allowed us to feel that compassion and has redeemed us, not because of anything that we've done, not because we've earned it, not because we've deserved it, but because he first loved us. What a testimony each and every one of us have. Because if you're saved in here, you've experienced God's compassion on your life at some point. I used to look at testimonies and realize and think to myself, my testimony isn't as cool or as good as, as your testimony. You know, some people, they have these incredible testimonies. But then I heard a, a certain testimony. I, I heard uh, the testimony of Pastor Joshua West. Pastor Joshua West is a, has authored three books. He has preached all over the world. He's releasing a new video series of, of preaching in different places in the world, uh, showing you what it's like to actually walk uh, where Jesus walked and preach where Jesus preached. Joshua West, Pastor Joshua West, is, is the, the coordinator for Sunrise uh, Teen Challenge and Adult Challenge uh, here in Cache, Oklahoma. And he is an amazing man of God. And you'd think nothing else until you see him for yourself. And you see the tattoos on his knuckles and you, and you realize that there's a different kind of story here. There's a story of redemption. Well, just uh, a, the other week, Pastor Joshua West sat down with our cameras and he shared for us his story of how compassion led to his redemption. And I want you to see this for yourselves. Hello, my name is Joshua West. You know, I grew up like uh, many other kids in, in our culture, a uh, broken home. I didn't know my dad. My mom worked uh, two or three jobs. She did the best she could for me and my sister. And uh, because of this, we were, we were alone a lot. And we found ourselves, you know, kind of raising ourselves. And, and honestly, we, we found ourselves sort of exposed to things that maybe um, young people shouldn't be exposed to. And for lack of better terminology, was raised in the streets. From a very young age, I, I found myself uh, on the fringes, uh, in trouble, kind of drawn to the world. You know, I remember from a very young age just being enamored with the things of the world and really just darkness. I grew up as a musician and my dream in life was to be a, a rock star. And so a lot of my idols, you know, were people who glamorized drug use. And so I was always kind of looking forward to when I could use drugs. At age 12, when I took my first drink of alcohol, um, it did make me feel at peace. You know, I felt like, man, I wanna feel like this all the time. I was trying to find 
uh, a feeling uh, that this world couldn't provide, uh, something that, that could make me comfortable in my own skin, something that made me not afraid. And to be honest with you, I, I would chase that feeling uh, for the next couple of decades of my life. It was, you know, fun for a season. Sin is always pleasurable for a season, but uh, unfortunately the feeling always went away um, and you had to drink again. And uh, I ended up getting into drugs eventually and get started out with weekends, you know, binge drinking, uh, using drugs, uh, having fun. But eventually the weekends bled into the week I found myself doing it on Mondays and uh, weeknights and, and eventually it became my life. It, it reached up and engulfed me. Uh, by the time I got to the, the end of my, my 20s, I'd been in and out of jail many times, um, overdosed many times, and just in the grips of life-controlling addiction. Unfortunately, by that time, I didn't know any way out. I was in true bondage. I really was out of help and out of hope, and I found myself uh, contemplating suicide and really drinking to the point where I thought maybe if I could just get drunk enough, maybe I'd have the courage to end it all. At some point, um, I did begin to want to change. Um, but once you've lived, uh, a life in a certain direction, momentum carries you. Even when you're not moving, it moves you. Um, and so you get caught in what psychology calls a vicious cycle. And I was in that cycle. I wanted freedom, but it was much harder to achieve than I thought. In fact, I would eventually find out that, that I wouldn't be able to achieve it on my own. But life really sort of changed directions for me. Um, in 2001, after I had been in jail in Dallas County for about a year, when I came out of jail, I ended up meeting a pastor by the name of Chad Burton. And uh, Chad was different than most pastors I, I had ever known. Uh, he was full of the love and the grace of God in a way that I, I'd never experienced. And he, he wasn't afraid that I failed. Um, he wasn't afraid that I, I kept trying and falling. and somehow believed that God had the power to, to transform my life. He believed it uh, much more than I did. In fact, often I just um, benefited from his generosity and he ended up bringing me to the church that he pastored and uh, I was greeted by people there who loved and accepted me, uh, you know, but they didn't really know me. <laughs> and so I assumed if they ever really knew who I was um, that they probably wouldn't feel that way about me. And I think this is what really began to, to draw me to Christ was the idea that, you know, when I failed, I thought, well, surely they're tired now. Surely they, they realize that I'm, I'm not going to be able to be like them. But what I, I found in this church was, was people that actually believed that my life could change. This group of people gathered around me and loved me like I was their family. And this is really what the kingdom of God is is loving the lost into the kingdom of God. The older versions of the Bible translates the word love when it's talking about the love God has for us often as charity. And that's, it's very interesting because God loved us in spite of the fact that we had nothing to offer Him. There was nothing we could do to like earn His love or earn His forgiveness. And it says that He, he gave everything to us. In fact, He gave us his own son that we might have eternal life. 
What I remember about the church the most was unwavering charity and compassion in the hope that I would see and receive the love of Christ. You know, real compassion isn't casual. It's not uh, Sunday afternoon or one or two good deeds. Compassion is about laying down your life like Christ, Christ did for us. At some point that, that compassion materialized into them helping me get into a program called Adult and Teen Challenge, which would radically change my life. And at Teen Challenge, I was met with more compassion. And God would use this program not only to, uh, to help me find sobriety from addiction, but to give me a life. Uh, you know, the Bible says that you would have life and life more abundantly. I knew nothing about abundance uh, other than an abundance of despair, an abundance of pain. And so for me, this, this trajectory started with the local church, people who were willing to give of themselves and love and serve and sow into my life. And you know, these things don't happen in events or moments. This is living life together. This is laying your life down for one another. God poured out love and compassion and mercy for us. And, and this is the gospel. But the truth is, is it's manifest in the lives of people who reach out their hands to the least, the last, and the lost like me. Uh, you know, it says in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before I even thought about God or even cared about God, God had already sent His Son to die for me. Uh, he, he showed compassion and love for us while we were still, for me, while I was still blaspheming Him and, and running amuck in the streets, God had already made a provision for me. But, but I saw that through the compassion of the local church. One of the, the major functions of my life is giving this compassion back that was showed to me by Christ Church and, and the ministry of Teen Challenge. Today I have the pleasure and honor of running a Teen Challenge program. Uh, I'm a pastor and an author and you know I, I've had the opportunity to preach all over the world um, and God has really given me a blessed life, a beautiful wife. I, I just had my first baby son. God has blessed me immensely, but it literally started with someone reaching their hand out to me in compassion when I had nothing to offer them. I had nothing to give them. I, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any uh, anything to give the church. And that really is the nature of true compassion. Giving to someone with no expectation that they'll ever be able to repay you. And I'm so grateful that, that the church reached out to me. And, and today that is my goal is to be part of the church and to show the love and compassion of God to a lost and dying world. Oh, would you stand with me all over this place? This is a tough world. A lot of hurting people, a lot of dying people, a lot of people that don't really know what love is. There's some people out there that their, their version and their idea of love is somebody being nice to them because they can get something out of them. There's people in this world that has never really ever experienced a genuine kind of love and compassion that God really intends. 
And this compassion, this love is, is encapsulated within the gospel of Christ because he first loved us, then we could love him. Then we could love others. See, compassion doesn't start with us, it started with him. And it allows us to share compassion with those. So perhaps you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor John, I just, I have a hard time being a compassionate person. Well, guess what? Me too, brother, me too. But I want you to know that you and I must be brave enough to allow our hearts to be tender again towards the least, the last, and the lost. We must be brave in order to show compassion and to show the love of Christ, even to people that we feel like don't deserve it and haven't earned it. Because guess what? Me and you, we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. So maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, directly to you. And he's telling you, it's time to be a person of compassion. Maybe somebody took advantage of you in life. And so you have a hard time trusting people. You gave something to somebody to try to help them and, it, and they misused it or abused it. Maybe, maybe you feel like you can't give anybody, you can't offer anybody anything because you're hurt yourself and you, you feel like you're the one that needs compassion. I wanna tell you that no matter how you are or who you are, and how you're standing here today. God, our Father, is the God of all compassion. He is the God of all comfort. And Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. So I challenge you today to make it your prayer that God would take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. That God would come in in some way, somehow, heal your hurts, heal your mistrusts, so that you can be compassionate people for him. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me all over this place? Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray God right now, as you would begin to move upon your people, Lord, that they would feel your compassion and remember what it was like to be redeemed themselves, Lord, so that they too can share your compassion with others. Amen. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed, I, I just want this opportunity to be you and the Lord responding together. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor John, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me, I just want you to simply raise your hand up and, and say, I need to be a more compassionate person. He's speaking to me. Lord, help me to be more compassionate. I wanna pray with you this morning. Thank you, right there. Thank you, thank you, yes. I'm looking all around, thank you. Thank you, yes. Thank you, I see you. Thank you, I see you, yes. Praise the name of the Lord. Would you grab the person's hand on your right and your left? This morning, our prayer is to be a people of compassion, but we can't be a, a church of compassion until the individuals become people of compassion. This morning, 
Would you join your faith with mine, your hand with each other, and let's pray that God would cause us united to be a people of compassion. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, help us, Lord, to be a people after your own heart. Father, to be a people that share your characteristics as our God, as our Father. Lord, to see the world through your eyes, to see the world through your tears. Lord, to be a people of compassion that reaches out to the least, the last, and the lost, that shares with them strategically, Lord, compassion. Lord, not so that we could be bleeding hearts, but instead so that we could share your love in the hopes that they would come to know you. Lord, do a work right now within us and through us and for us so that we can do something for your kingdom and your glory and your honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen. We're gonna be a people of compassion. We're gonna be a church that loves others, whether they've earned it or they've deserved it. Because guess what? We know what that's like, amen? This morning, our job is very simple. Our task is very straightforward. To go out and to love the least, the last, and the lost. In Jesus' name, will you do it? Say amen, amen. Go out into this world and love the least and the last and the lost.